And starting off this morning, I want to just tell you a quick story, as I often do. Um, not too long ago, uh, Otis, my six-year-old son and I, we uh, went to the mall because we needed to get a gift for a friend. And it was his choice to want to go to the mall. Um, he had set in his heart and in his mind something that he wanted to get for his friend that had like a certain meaning and a certain purpose. He couldn't fully express to me what it was, but he's like, Dad, I'll just kind of, when I see it, I'll know what it is. And he's like, can you just take me to Amazon at Washington Square? And I thought, perfect. Well, we park, we go in, and guess what? Amazon is closed. Did you guys know that? They shut down the Amazon store. And for him, like, his world was rocked because he's like, does that mean we're not going to get any more package delivered to our house? Like, he thought it meant, like, Amazon was done, done. For me, I was like, oh, the irony that this used to be a Barnes and Nobles that got shut down because of Amazon, and now they put up their own store, and then now they're shut down because of all kinds of stuff. But we both sat there like, oh, gosh, what do we do? And so he was totally bummed, and so here we are, we're at the mall, and so we just start walking around, and I'm thinking in my head, like, let's just go, let's go to Dick's and get him, like, sports something. Let's go to, um, you know, this other store and get him, you know, a toy, this and that. And, and in his heart and his mind, he just, he wasn't going to settle, like, that just wasn't going to cut it. So after walking around for a bit, I just said, we got to find one of those maps. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you go find that, that big mall map, and of course, on there, there's, there's a dot. And what does the dot say? Do you guys remember? You are here. And so as we're standing there in this place, I just started reading to him. Do you want to go get something here? Do you want to go get something here? How about here? And he just goes, no, Dad, I just don't want to do it. Like, I just, I just don't. Can we just go? And so there we were after a while. We leave Washington Square empty-handed. And I was on one hand, honestly, like, disappointed. We had just spent probably close, you know, it was like 45 minutes, right? By the time we get there, we get over our disappointment. We walk around, we get there, and you are here. But on the other hand, I, I was really proud of him. I was proud that he didn't settle for a lesser vision or a lesser something else than the impact that he wanted to have through the gift that he wanted to get for his friend. And so guess where we went? Off to Powell's. And the moral of the story is what? Buy local. No, it's not. <laughs> the, the, the moral of the story is, I, I, just, I love the fact that he made a choice based upon the impact that he wanted to have in someone's life. He didn't settle, or he didn't get confused. He didn't get overwhelmed by just the options that, honestly, I was trying to force him to make because of it was convenient what was right there. But he had this conviction in his heart that what he wanted to do was get a certain something special for his friend that would make an impact in their life in a certain way. And he just wasn't going to settle. So he said, Dad, let's go. And he was willing to leave even what all the options in front of him on the table because he was convinced that there was something more, something better, another option out there that was his to impart to someone else. For the last five or six weeks, we've been in a series called Here I Am. And we've been looking at a number of instances throughout Scripture where God reveals himself and calls to different people, and their response to God is, here I am. And through their response of faith, God then uses their lives to make a redemptive impact in the world in partnership with God, redeeming this world that he loves. We've taken a look at Abraham and in Genesis 2, where God called to him and asked him to sacrifice his son Isaac in the wilderness. We looked at Jacob and how twice in Genesis, both in Genesis 31 and in Genesis 46, God appears to him. And one time, uh, the angel of the Lord tells him to leave Laban, a place that he was comfortable with, and go on this long journey. And the second time after that long journey, God calls to him in Genesis 46 and says, go back now to Egypt. And by obedience and saying, here I am, what happens is Jacob reunites with his son Joseph. There's reconciliation that's take place. And not only is his family saved in the midst of famine, but the whole people of Israel is saved and birthed into the great nation that God wants them to be. 
We looked at the story of Samuel in 1 Samuel 3, where God calls to him, and Samuel had no idea who God even was at that point because he was such a young boy. Not that he didn't know who God was, but he didn't have a relationship with him. And so it's Eli, and it's, it's the faith of his mother that guide him and direct him to know to go sit and wait for God. And then God uses him to be one of the most powerful and prophetic prophets in that day and in that time to, again, help save the people and move them forward. We looked last week at the story of Ananias and how in Acts chapter 9, God reveals himself to a, to a simple disciple who lived in Damascus. And God called him to go and talk to Saul and pray for Saul so that the scales would fall off his eyes so that Saul could become Paul and ultimately become one of the, the greatest writers and authors of Scripture and really transform and change the first century church into what it was. And a couple weeks before that, we looked at our own um, Tim and Leslie Betcher, who in 2018, when Leslie was in Africa, uh, God called to her and she said, okay, God, here I am. And now they've got this beautiful ministry called Sowing Hope in Burundi, where God is using them to help pull women out of poverty, to empower them, introduce them to Jesus, and give them skills to use for their hands in order to provide for their families. There's a couple other instances in Scripture where here I am is said as well, and we haven't had a chance to look at those. It's the story of Moses, right? Exodus 3, uh, in the burning bush, God calls to him, and Moses' response is similar, here I am. There's also Isaiah in, in Isaiah chapter 6 where Isaiah gets this vision of the throne of God and, and, and God calls to him and, and the seraphim comes and, and burns his lips to cleanse him and then therefore calls him out into mission, out into faith. Again, uh, birthing Elijah from that, Isaiah from that point, excuse me, to be one of the greatest prophets, again, to proclaim uh, God's heart, God's desire, God's redemption for his people in a time when they needed to hear it very badly. The list of all these people, one of the things we've tried to portray is that these are actually very common people. If you think about it, before their calling, they were common people. They were like you and I. I mean, we know them now, and they're in the hall of faith, or they're people that we, we talk about today. Why? Because of their response to God. But prior to God coming to them, they were simple, common people, were they not? And yet, we see this pattern over and over throughout Scripture, that God calls, people respond, and then God's redemptive purpose is moved forward through their lives. Again, people not very different than you and I, not special by any means, not renowned, nothing other than God, out of his love, out of his grace, pursued them first. And they had a faith that allowed them to say, here I am. But from that point on, that's why they're famous. That's why we know them. This pattern is important because we're going to talk about that again today. It's God calling, it's people responding, and it's God's redemptive history and purpose being moved through their lives. The other reason why this is important is because when we kicked off this series six weeks ago, one of the things we talked about was that what happened in Genesis 3 is, is, is the exact opposite of what happened in all these stories, or what happened in all these stories is the exact opposite of what happened in Genesis 3. Right? In Genesis 3, in verses 9 and 10, it's, it's after the fall, and God comes and he pursues Adam and Eve. And do you guys remember what happened? God says to him, where are you? kind of putting that little map, if you will, in front of him and giving him that little red dot, trying to get him to think about, where are you? What's, what, what are you going to do here? And he calls to him, he says, where are you? And what was Adam's response? He doesn't answer the question other than to say that I heard that you were coming, I heard you were walking, I heard you were on your way, I heard that you were pursuing me, and I knew now that I was naked, and so what did I do? I, I hid. His shame overtook him, and then God responds to him again, and what does he do then? And then he blames, and he says, the woman that you put with me, she, she did this thing, and so now I'm here where I am. And again, I, th- I don't think God was asking the question, Adam, where are you, because he didn't know, right? Come on. It's his garden. He created it. He knows where they are. But I think what God was doing was giving Adam and Eve a second chance. I think what he was doing was asking a question to try to help them to see and understand, again, not physically where they were, 
but to ask, where are you? So that they would think about the condition of, of their heart. Think about the condition of their relationship. Think about where they were into relation, relation to God at the time and what God's heart was towards them. And I think God, again, was giving them a second chance. But instead of responding, here I am, when God said, Adam, where are you? Adam hid because he felt shame. See, when God called again to Abraham, to Jacob, to Moses, to Samuel, to Isaiah, to Ananias, to each and every one of them, they said those words, here I am. And what they did from that point forward is they undid the work that Adam and Eve did in the Garden of the Fall. Instead of bringing about the fall that we would need redemption from, they were able to partner with God to bring about redemption in the world that he loved, to restore it from the fall that took place. See, the Hebrew words that, that are translated here I am, the, 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 those three words can actually be translated, or in Hebrew they're one word, and they can actually be translated another way of saying it is, is at your service. That when each one of these people said to God, here I am, they were saying to God, I'm at your service. Again, it wasn't about their physical location, but it was about where they were in relationship to God. It was about their heart posture towards God. It was about them having an understanding and awareness of who God was and what he wanted to do, and them saying, God, I'm right here. I'm in this place. I'm at your service. Ultimately, asking back to God a question of, God, what would you like me to do? Here you are, God, and you're coming to me, a simple human. What is it that you would have me do? I want to look today at another place in Scripture that we haven't talked about yet because there's one more person in Scripture who's recorded as saying those exact words, here I am. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it up to Psalm chapter 40, and we're going to read uh, verses 6 to 8. It's, it's a long, beautiful psalm. We'll talk a little bit more about the context of it, but I want you to open Psalm 40 if you have, and if not, it'll be on the screen. We're going to look at verses 6 to 8, and this morning I'm going to use the NIV because of the way that it translates. It reads this, it says, Sacrifice and offering, and we believe this is David writing this, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. So again, you see that phrase, Here I am, I have come. It's written about me. I desire to do your will. And what's interesting about this is that, again, we believe that David is the one who wrote this psalm, but there's an interesting like, attribution that happens to this psalm, actually, is that in Hebrews chapter 10, where I want you to turn now, these same words are almost written exactly or spoken exactly, and this time these words are attributed to Jesus. So I want you to open to Hebrews 10, and we're going to read verses 5 through 7, and it says this. It says, therefore, or consequently, again in the NIV, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. And then I said, here I am. Some of your translations may say, behold, but here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, my God. So why is this important? Why, why do I want us on this last day of talking about this series of here I am and our invitation to participate in that? Why, why do I want us to look here? See, here, here's the thing, right? We've looked again at Abraham, Jacob, Samuel, Ananias, the Betchers in our own community. We're, we're not followers of any of them, right? We're, we're not disciples. And we can be inspired by these people. We can be inspired by these historical stories. But ultimately, each of us and the call on our lives is to be followers of Jesus. Would you agree with that? To be followers of Jesus, right? And our call is to be in relationship with God through Christ and to become like Christ in heart, 
and in character and in word and in deed, and so that God's redemptive purposes can be moved throughout history through our lives and our participation in that story. And what all these stories have been pointing to is the fact that God's redemptive heart, God's redemptive purpose, God's redemptive will is always and only going to be found in Jesus Christ. And what I love about this and what we're going to look at in Hebrews is that Christ saying, here I am, ultimately is the impetus and even the empowerment that you and I have that we can stand here today and say, here I am. Lord, what would you have me do? I want to be at your service. Again, we can be inspired by those who in, in history past have said it, but if you and I actually want to live as disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus, and live into the reality of the invitation that God wants to use your life and my life to be a part of bringing about healing and redemption into this world, you and I don't just need to be inspired by historical figures who said it in the past. You and I need to know and understand that we stand here as followers of Jesus, following the one who ultimately said it for the final and last time. And not only are we followers of him, but we're empowered by him, that his same spirit his same heart, his same ability that said, Lord, here I am, I've come to do your will, that that's the empowerment that we have, that you and I today can say, Lord, here I am, what would you have me do? See, one of the things that uh, Psalm 40 and even Hebrews 10 uh, talk to or remind us about is that our response to God when God calls and our, our ability to say, here I am, it's not an act of sacrifice. It's not a burnt offering. It's not a sin offering that you and I need to make. There's, there's nothing we need to prove to God. We're not trying to atone for anything. But that Christ already came and he made that final atonement. I want you to read with me uh, verses 8 through 10. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this empowerment and this ability that we have to be part of God's redemptive plan. Verse 8 says, When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So what the author of Hebrews is saying here is that Jesus came and he said, Lord, here I am. Behold, here I am. I've come to do your will. And his saying of that frees us and empowers us to do the same. In verse 10, he says, By that will... He has sanctified us through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. He, he's sanctified us. What has he done? He's, he's set us apart. He's made us holy. He's come and said that my purpose coming into this world, my saying, I, here I am, God. Here I am, Father. I've come to do your will. Jesus acknowledging that his will was ultimately to go to the cross, to die for us, to rise again for us, to do away with the record of sin that was held against us. That frees us so that, again, when God comes to us and invites us, to partner with him, whether that's in going to pray, that going to serve, whatever that looks like in your sphere, in your realm of influence. When God comes to us and we respond, again, we don't have to prove anything. The pressure's off. We, we have the ability to say yes and to respond. Again, and it's not about showing or proving to God. Christ has already done that for us. He's already set us apart in this place that we have the freedom to do that as a response in worship as a response in gratitude, as a response of love. It's when God comes to us and says, hey, where are you? We don't have to run and hide in shame as Adam and Eve did. But we can stand and go, honestly, Lord, Lord, here I am. <laughs> here I am. And we can acknowledge and take stock of where's my heart? 
Where do I feel like I am in relationship? And know that I have the freedom to do that, not trying to have to prove anything to God, but Christ has already paid it. He's already done it. There's no offering, no sacrifice that needs to happen. I can stand in the freedom of that grace and really discern and go, God, what are you doing here? Where are you, where are you inviting me to? So why is that important? See, I think sometimes you and I as followers of Jesus, we think that in order for me to respond and say, here I am, and go be a redemptive force in this world, I think sometimes we think we have to be perfect. You know what I mean? I think sometimes we stand at the mall in that map and we feel like the pressure of the world, the pressure of dad is going, would you just pick something, please? Like, these are the only options in front of you. Would you just pick something so we can move on? And the reality is that, no, the grace of God and what Christ has done in already setting us apart and saying the here I am that is the here I am above all others, that has freed us to be able to look and to go, no, and to remember there are options beyond the pressure that the world is giving us to say and try to be and do something. And it's okay to be in process as well. When we say, here I am. See, every single one of the stories that we looked at, again, they were common people before God called them. They had all kinds of failure and mistakes in their, in their history, even before God came and called to them. And even after they said, here I am, do you know what? They still had a bunch of mistakes and failures after that. But it wasn't about their perfection or their need to perform, even in their responding of here I am to God. It was about God's power wanting to work through them. It was about God's grace working in their lives. It was about God's provision and what God was going to do ultimately for us, pointing to Christ to say, look, there is going to be one who I'm sending into the world and he's going to say, here I am. And he's going to stand in the place to make it so that everybody else afterwards can look at him and know that through my son died on the cross, resurrected, and now sitting at my right hand, every human has, who puts their faith and trust in him has the ability to not just have to settle for the options that the world is giving them, but they can look upon Christ in faith and they can know that they're being invited to be a part of the healing and the redemption of this world that is part of the heart and the will of God. Can we get excited about that at all? No? There's freedom in that, y'all, isn't there? The pressure is off. And we get to step into the journey. We get to step into the adventure to say, here I am, God. Here I am too. Simple me, plain me, little me, or educated me, smart me, talented me. However you want to view yourself. Here I am. I'm here. What would you have me do, God? What's, what's your will in the midst of, of the things going on in this world? See, again, it's this pattern of God pursuing a human responding, and then redemptive history being moved. It's crazy to me because I think, I look at this world and I look at all the things going on and I go, man, if, if Jesus had just come and he had just changed and rearranged and done everything from the top and it all just trickled down, like it would have all been fixed and so easy, right? But no, what God actually did is said, my redemptive plan is to send my son Jesus into the world to walk and live among the people and one life at a time, one life at a time, one person at a time, one image bearer at a time, Cover them in grace. Cover them in love. Give them a new name. Give them a new identity. Call them into the redemptive purposes that God has in this world, one by one by one. You know, at the end of a week like this, right, you sit and you think, and I even sent you guys an email, I think, yes, we got to change policy. I think, yes, at the two-year anniversary of George Floyd, we got to look and still go, yeah, there's systems that are broken and busted and need changing, right? I mean, it's got to happen. There's got to be things that, that happen on that higher level, Right? And there's things we can do in that. But yet, sometimes we look and we realize, man, it's going to take so long to change and shift all that. And what God is saying in the meantime is going, hey guys, remember my redemptive plan. 
It's me, the God, the creator of all, sending my son into the world to interact with every single human being one by one. And he comes to us and says to our lives, would you be the one that would say, here I am, so then I can call you to move in you interacting with one other person, you interacting and engaging in one other person's story, being a conduit of my love, of my grace, of my goodness. God's redemptive plan is God pursues one person, (laughs) that single person responds, and then we see redemptive history move to that individual. Missio, where are you today? If we're standing at that map trying to decide what options do I have, what do I, what do I, what do I want my impact to be, where are you today? What's God stirring in your heart? I love that the author of Hebrews goes on and he says through verses 11 to, to 14 is where I want to look next. And he says, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Two key verses here I want to look at. Verse 12 said, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, when Christ said, Here I am, I'm here to do your will. Your will for me is to die on the cross. I'm going to do that. He offered a single sacrifice again. So there never has to be another sacrifice again. And then what does it say he did? It says then he sat down at the right hand of God. And he's waiting now until his enemies become his footstool. What does it mean that Christ sat down then at the right hand of God? See, what it means is that Christ did what he was supposed to do. He fulfilled it. And he is sitting right now at the right hand of God, sitting enthroned above the circle of this earth that he loves. But he's not far off and removed. He's still working in and through it. How? Again, the author goes on and says, For by a single offering, he has made perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Who's he talking about? He's talking about you and me. I want you to look deeper at verse 14 with me. Let's read it together. Can you guys do that with me? Can you guys see it up there? Ready? For by a single offering, can you guys read with me? Ready? One, two, three. For by a single offering, He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Does anybody see the confusion in that verse? Oh, am I reading a different translation? (laughs) My bad. (laughs) Excuse me? No. Yeah, let's read yours. Let's read yours. Ready? Uh, Verse 14. One, two, three. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. There we go. That sounded good. Does anybody see in verse 14, what's the, what's the confusion? What's the problem with verse 14? For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. Wait, what? You guys, you guys see that? Again, let, let me read it. My, I, mine here. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Wait, what? So, so am I, have I already been made perfected or am I being made perfected? Wait, ha- have I already been made perfect by what Jesus did or am I still in the process of being made holy? Which, which one is it? Yes. <laughs> See, and I think this dissonance and looking again at the world and looking at my own life, I think sometimes that too, again, is the fear that, that we, and that tension that we hold when, when we feel and we sense that God is coming to us and saying, where are you? 
And sometimes we, we know, we, we know and we believe, again, we believe that, that Jesus, it's your sacrifice once and for all that has made me holy. It's your sacrifice once and for all that has perfected me. It's your sacrifice once and for all that has saved me. But what I feel and what I'm experiencing now as I walk through this world is just the brokenness of it, both what's out there and the, the things that I'm still wrestling and working on within my own heart and my own mind. And I just go, wait, where, how can I possibly say, yes, here I am? How could you possibly be calling and saying, where are you, actually to give me a second chance? How could, you, how could you possibly be pursuing me? It's because of this. It's because what Christ has done, he's already made us perfect, and yet now we've got to live out that, that, that prospect and that aspect of be, being, being made holy. And so what's the point of that? What, what, where am I driving this? See, I think that the, the posture, church, of being people who say, here I am, trusting that as we sang about this morning, that God is good and his mercies endure forever, that he's a God that pursues. And even when I know that I'm in process, even when I know that I have not yet fulfilled that perfection that Christ has already positionally given me, I think sometimes, again, that the lies can come in and we go, but I'm just not there yet. I don't know what to do. And it can be fear of risk. It can be fear of failure. It can be fear, all these kinds of things. And what this verse is telling us is, is that's kind of the way it's supposed to be. God is good. His mercies do endure forever. Christ has come and he has made that offering of of sin sacrifice once and for all. He is sitting, reigning and ruling above the earth with the Father and with the Spirit. And he is waiting until his enemies become made his footstool. He's waiting for redemptive history actually to move to that final point. And between now and then, he's coming to you and I and he's, he's inviting us to partner with him even while we're in process even while we don't have it all figured out, even while we've made mistakes yesterday and we're going to make some mistakes tomorrow. It's his grace and his ultimate here I am, again, that empowers us and enables us to say, Lord, here I am. What would you have me do? Teach me, show me your will. Walk me through it, God. Because I look at this world and I just know that it needs your kingdom. I'm grateful for what Dallas Willard said in uh, one of the books he wrote called The Divine Conspiracy. He said, we all have a kingdom, basically, right? And he says, your kingdom, my kingdom, is that little sphere in which what we say goes. Your kingdom is the range of your or our effective rule. See, I think some of the, one of the tensions that I feel, I mean, I won't project myself on you, but one of the tensions that I feel as a follower of Jesus sometimes is going, I, I do, I, I long for it. Again, I, I believe I've been made perfect in Christ, I believe I'm in the process of working that out. I believe Jesus has sat down at the right hand of God and he's reigning and his kingdom is, is the ultimate authority. But I, I don't fully see it here all the time. And in the middle of those tensions, and maybe it's part of this camp, I, I've got my own little kingdom that I want to build. You know what I'm saying? Like, I got the stuff I want to do. I got the things that I think will be right. I'm standing over my son saying, would you just pick something because we got to get out of here? You know what I'm saying? Like, I, this kingdom is where my reign and my rule, my effective, you know, my voice gets to say what's going on. What Dallard Willis is going on to say here, he's saying, you know, again, you and I have a kingdom, and the reality is, it's just not very big. And we need to just accept that reality. But to accept the reality that in the midst of that, the one who is the king of kings, the one who is the Lord of lords, the one who is sitting at the right hand of God, He's invited us into relationship with him. And it's for the purpose of us partnering with him in his kingdom. It's so that you and I can enter into the story again, enter into the adventure. And through that process, guess what? 
that's actually where we become perfected. The perfection has already been given to us and in Christ, and it's through the process of realizing that, that it's not about my kingdom, but it's, it's partnering with God in his kingdom and his effective rule that I actually become what I already am in Christ. I actually become what I can acknowledge I'm, I'm just not yet. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? See, it's, it's, the, it's the posture of saying, here I am. It's the simple prayer of saying, here I am, that joins us to God for his will and his kingdom And that actually moves us into that place where we can become more and more what God desires for us to be. And the more we say, here I am, God, yes, it's about your kingdom, not the one that I want to build. The more we actually pursue, become more sanctified, and the more then God's kingdom comes and his will is done on this earth as it is in heaven. You guys following, tracking with me? And as we've looked at in all these stories, it's not easy. Nobody ever said it would be. In fact, Jesus told us it wouldn't be easy, right? Do you remember that? He said, I'm, he said, I'm leaving, but don't worry, I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm sending my spirit. And he also said, I'm leaving, but I'm, you can't come with me right now. And in this world, you're going to have hardship, you're going to have trouble, but don't worry. Take heart. I'm sending you my spirit. Take heart. I've overcome this world. Again, he told us we were going to be in process. We were going to feel this out. And yet, redemptive history was going to move forward through you and I when we can say, here I am, God. What would you have me do? I want to finish these verses here in, in Hebrews, this section of Hebrews 10. Because again, today we're, we're going to take communion together. And I love what verses 15 to 18 say. It says, uh, I, this is going to be messed up translations again. Did I mess this up big time? I'm so sorry. You know, I'll read the one that's up there. It says, and the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and their lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there's no need to offer any more sacrifices. See, I love that the author of Hebrews finishes up this portion in this section talking about Christ's sacrifice once and for all because he talks about and he brings in the full picture of the Trinity. He talks about Holy Spirit. And how Holy Spirit actually bears witness to us or bears witness for us and reminds us that there's a new covenant that that you and I have been brought into. That there's a new covenant and a commitment and a faithfulness where God's law is written on our hearts and written on our minds, where our sins are no longer remembered by God. And even as Holy Spirit works in our lives, our sins and our our lawless deeds, they get removed from our own heart and our own mind. And we're reminded that we're, we're forgiven. We're reminded that there's a freedom that we live in. We're reminded that there is a a grace that abounds to us. Again, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done when he said, here I am. And again, it frees us, church. It gives us the ability to risk. One of the things that I love about this community is is the faith risks that I'm actually seeing people take. I love that last week after (laughs) talking about the story of Ananias, um, somebody emailed me and they said, you know, uh, I felt just like the Holy Spirit was saying to me during Sunday expression that, yeah, there was going to be an invitation for me. And they went hiking, and in hiking, there was, met somebody in the parking lot, and they were kind of a more quiet, reserved person, and they just talked about the fact that like, they felt that um, they were supposed to talk to this person, and they did. And this person just started opening up and telling their story. And they said, hey, can I pray for you? And they prayed for him. And the person was like, it was just amazing like, that God could use me in that moment to pray for a random stranger and give them encouragement when all I did was go for a hike. Yes, yes, he can do that. He wants to do that. 
you, one person responding to God's invitation, moving forward redemptive history. Now, do we know what's going to happen in that person's life? No, not necessarily. Did, did they all of a sudden come to know Jesus and their lives change radically and everything's perfect and pretty in their world now? We don't know. But was that one person faithful? Did they take the risk to say, God, here I am. I feel the prompting. I'm supposed to pray for this person. Did they do that? Yeah, I love that. The exercising of faith, them working out, coming more towards this place of sanctification, this place of perfection. I love another email that I got. A gal said, you know, somebody was walking through my, my yard and um, they asked me a question. And I, it's a question I often shy away from. But this time I, I gave them the question and actually the answer of this question pointed to the fact that I'm a follower of Jesus. And they said, it actually wasn't horrible. <laughs> I took the risk and it actually wasn't that scary. Like it actually didn't come and bite me in the butt. Like, and then guess what? They got another email in a couple days and that person walked through my yard again and we're continuing having more conversations. Wow, just because they felt compelled to say, okay, God, here I am. I feel the prompting as I'm talking with this person that I'm just supposed to, out of the grace you've given me, speak of that grace with someone else. And now they've they've started this relationship where we can begin to pray and go, God, yeah, continue to water those seeds, Lord. Continue to bring about redemption, Lord. You know what I mean? You guys tracking with me? God speaks. We get to respond And when we do, God moves forward his redemptive plan of restoring this world back into relationship with him and being healed by his love. And you and I, one, 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 we get to be a part of that when we say, yes, God, here I am. Kel, I want to invite you and Thomas to come and and, and lead us out. And here's here's the, the, the question I want to leave you with this morning. What's God stirring in you right now as you hear this? What's God stirring in you right now? Where and how is is God calling you, inviting you into deeper relationship with him and into a posture of, of again, of saying, Lord, Lord, here I am. God, I want to be available. I want to encourage you this morning, again, as we take communion, to to, to wrestle with with that question. God, what, what are you stirring in me? To wrestle with it with God. In a sense, again, take out the map, if you will, and here's the dot. It says, here you are. Think about, where are you relationally? And what, what is God inviting you to? I'm excited for, for this summer. We're going to do a series um, on prayer called Non-Going Conversation with God, and it's going to help us continue to think about more and more of this question and, and play that out through prayer. But this morning, I, I want you to think about, what, as you head back to your, your neighborhood, as you head back home today, or as you enter into your workplace this week, or wherever it is that you're going to go, you enter back to campus, I want you to go this week with the confidence of knowing that that God is actively looking, God is actively speaking, God is actively wanting to partner with you and with me. And what we're going to do this morning is in taking communion, again, is a reminder that Jesus said, here I am. And that in him doing that, Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice that is our empowerment and it is our freedom to say, yes, God, here I am right here. Past failures there, acknowledging them. Future inadequacies and forward in front of me, limited resources, all the things, acknowledge it, it's there. Jesus comes and stands and says, it's my here I am that is the ultimate one. That is the empowerment for you to live into my kingdom my empowerment for you to be a part of, again, moving forward redemptive history. And so this morning, church, as Kelly 
and Thomas lead us in a closing song of worship. I want to invite you when you're ready. I want to invite you when you're ready to take this little cup that represents the body of Christ that was broken for us, the blood of Christ that was shed for us, and to look at it and to remember that this is the declaration that Christ once and for all offered the sacrifice needed for our forgiveness. To remember as you look at it that Christ right now is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, reigning and ruling in power. And God is, by His Spirit, pursuing you, speaking to you as a child, wanting to remind you of the holiness, the perfection, yes, that you, that you are. And to invite you to receive the grace to say yes to Him in order that your life might continue to be a part of God's redeeming history. Amen? Can we do that? So God, I just, I just ask that in prayer, Lord, as we, as we take communion today, Lord, would you come and speak to us? Jesus, we thank you that, that yours is the sacrifice once and for all, and there's, there's no other necessary one needed. God, when we come in on Sundays, it's, it's not like the old temple system where I've got to stand up here and make a sacrifice, or anybody has to stand up here and make a sacrifice. No, Jesus, you have already done that. You've laid down your life freely for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be made whole, that we might be called children of the living God. Holy Spirit, thank you, as Hebrews 10 said, that you are speaking and testifying to us that there is a new covenant that we stand under, that we are covenant children, and also that we are kingdom ambassadors. And so, God, as we ask that question, God, what are you stirring in me? What would you have me do? Lord, would you speak clearly this morning to our hearts and to our minds? First and foremost, declare the freedom that we have because of Christ, his body broken, his blood shed, but also declare, God, speak to us, please of the ways in which you would invite us to be an authentic community that makes Christ fully known so that others may come to fully know him.